Welcome to the Reg Parenting Podcast. I am Anna, the founder of Reg Parenting. In this episode, we talk with Christiana Figueres, an internationally recognized leader on climate change. She was executive secretary of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change from 2010 to 2016, where she oversaw the delivery of the historic Paris Agreement. Today, she is the co-founder of Global Optimism, co-host of the podcast Outrage and Optimism, and author of the book The Future We Choose. She also sits on the board of several companies, helping them reduce their carbon footprint. Christiana has led her life making conscious decisions. Very early on, as a result of an unconventional childhood, she chose to dedicate her life to public service, especially to fighting climate change. She also chose to go through a process of self-healing, not only for herself, but to be the mother that she wanted to be, the mother that her children deserved. She hit rock bottom, but she chose to leave, and every day she chose to be optimistic in her parenting and in her professional life. She made a choice of being a very present mother, and she enjoys every single minute of it. Christiana is optimism and strength. Enjoy the episode. Christiana Figueres, welcome to the Reg Parenting Podcast. We're so very happy to have you here. Thank you, Anna. Thank you for the invitation. This, this is a topic that you are treating in your podcast that is very dear to my heart, but that I don't usually talk about other than with my own daughters. Um, and certainly, I don't talk about it in public. So this is quite a, a a new, challenging, and delightful invitation. Fantastic. That's what we like. So, Christiana, I always like to start our podcast by asking our guests about the family in which they grew up. Will you? What can you tell us about your family, about your family? Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> Anna, I think we have uh, quite a few parallel <laughs> histories, uh, you and I. Um, because I also am the daughter um, of an ex-president. I I was born during my father's second presidency. So I was uh, literally born in the presidential house. And and I grew up very much in, uh, very much aware that my family was not just a political family, but that it was a family that had devoted itself to public service. And hence, my childhood was also devoted to public service. I did not have a childhood uh, devoted to playing and uh, having fun and making friends. I had a childhood that was already very deeply imbued with uh, public service principles and values, um, and that is how I uh, how I invested my time. Uh, what I, I just realized a little while ago, Anna, that um, I don't really enjoy games. Mm-hmm. When somebody comes over, you know, to my house and says, "Shall we play a game?" I'm always at a loss because I don't really enjoy games. I don't enjoy playing because I never played as a child. <laughs> and so it's very interesting how things, you know, the context that you grow up in marks you so deeply for, for the rest of your life. 
Absolutely. Did and so how do you feel about it? Did you ever feel different? Did you ever rebel against the way you were being raised? Because it was obviously a bit different to the way other children of your age were being raised. No, I didn't. Um, I I I did not rebel. I was not. I, I think I've re become more rebellious in my old age. Mm -hmm. I did not rebel as a child. Um, I just accepted that as a reality. It was not a it was definitely not a fun childhood, but it was a, a childhood of many, many lessons learned. I I just learned every single day. I remember, you know, going through like, wow, what what were all the things that I learned today? Um, and I just accepted that that was the reality. And I actually even looked at my friends that they were off dancing and playing and, you know, taking weekends off to go here and there. And I thought, how totally irresponsible of them. <laughs> when there's so much to be done in this world, when there's so many people to be helped, when there's so many, and, and that was so much the lesson from my parents that our public service was devoted to right to uh to alleviate social injustice and um our work was to benefit those who were most vulnerable and so i always just looked at you know the other peers peers of my age and i thought how completely irresponsible can't they see that there's so much to be done can't they see that there's so much so many people who need help who need you know uh who who need for policy decisions to be taken, who who need courageous steps to be taken in order to improve the quality of their life. So I never rebelled. I just totally accepted it as not just as a fact in life, but actually as a purpose in life. Would you say that you were always more mature than your peers in a way? Well, Yes, if if having a purpose in life is maturity, then yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm not sure that that is such a great thing. I actually now, as a much older person in my as in in my 66 year of life, I actually look back and I say, wait, why why are children deprived of being children? I actually was very aware of that when I had my own children and made sure that they had time to fun to have fun and relax and and not have a huge responsibility on their shoulders. So yes, I I, I was glad that I had that discipline and I think it has helped me a lot in my further life, but I also think that balance in life is a good idea. So giving you know, a purpose in life, but also being able to enjoy and have fun and play is also important. Um, and I'm just learning that now when I'm 66, a little bit late. <laughs> Never too late. And as you say, play is massively important uh, for children. So you clearly, clearly your parents, you know, influence you a lot in how you have lived your life. But if you had to describe your parents, how would you describe them? Were they, were they very warm, demanding, controlling? How would you say they were as parents? They were not warm. Since that's the first word you used, I would <laughs> immediately say, no, that was not one of their qualities. Um, because they were both so, developed, so devoted to public service and that completely took over their lives, so they were, um, my, my father in particular was very absent. 
from our lives. Um, I really, I, I actually remember one time that I was maybe about seven or eight. Um, and for some strange reason that I don't remember why, I was um, standing right behind his chair when he was being interviewed by a journalist. And I remember that the topic had to do with politics and economics of Latin America, but that was that was the only thing that I understood. I didn't understand a thing about what they were talking about. But what I do remember is that after the interview, the journalist said, so Don Pepe, because that was the endearing term that people use for my father. And the journalist said, so Don Pepe, how many children do you have? And without even breathing, without a doubt, he said three million. Mm. So three million was the total population of Costa Rica mm. at the time. And I just remember being horrified by that answer. And I thought, wait, what? Mm. Three million? Well, what about us? Mm. I mean, I knew that he was referring to the total population. I did know that, you know, I knew what by the time I was seven or eight, what the total population was. But I totally then it was the first time that I heard from him directly that he viewed himself, but the country also viewed himself as the father of the country, not as the father of children. And, and, and it was very hurtful for me when I was very young. And then, you know, by the time I got to be an adult in my late teens and early 20s, I finally understood that. And mm -hmm. I understood that he had placed that because he is the founder of modern Costa Rica and he had placed that above his parenting roles. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you can, you can choose to be um, bitter about that your whole life, which I chose actually, I'm not, I'm choosing not to be bitter about that my whole life. I'm actually choosing to appreciate that he did that because we have a marvelous little country today to a great extent because of what he did. So I'm truly grateful to him as a public figure. And I would not recommend him as a parental figure to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess we also have to take into account that the way we raise children has changed a lot over the yes. decades, right? especially for fathers. So I think fathers decades ago, they were quite absent, even if they were not, they didn't have you know a job as important as as yours. But they were quite absent. That was the way families were raised, right? Um, yes. Well, that is true, and that is especially true as as you know in um, uh, I think in Spanish speaking countries. So mm -hmm. I think you know we in Latin America we inherited a lot of the Spanish culture, obviously, and I think that is especially true um, for our cultures may be less true for Anglo-Saxon yeah. cultures. I'm not sure, but I think it is definitely true for um for our for our cultures. But but my mother, you know, just to balance that out, my mother um honestly was was torn, I think um to a certain extent her greatest aspiration was to have a loving, harmonious family. Mm -hmm. And and that was an aspiration. But she also, she was torn by her public service commitment and by her feeling of loyalty to my father and supporting my father and also taking on her own public responsibilities. And so she was also not a devoted mother. She, um, she you know, I, I could tell even growing up that 
you know, sometimes she was the mother and other times she was the public figure. Mm-hmm. And she had a very hard time combining those two. Very, very hard time. Um, and she was also a, a person who grew up, and, and maybe we'll talk about this, Anna, but with a lot of childhood traumas herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and I think the generation of our parents did not have the ability or the or the or the professional context to actually be okay with working yeah. through those traumas. And so handing down traumas from uh, one generation to the next, I think is a very typical pattern um, that we have inherited, especially mother-daughter traumas. I think that is especially deep, mm-hmm. certainly for me. And um, and I think for many women that I have spoken to who ha- are a link in a chain Mm-hmm. of uh, of ancestral traumas i would say mother daughter mother daughter mother daughter and of course that has been reinforced by society and um and so those traumas go very deep because you get them when you're a child um and that means very deep roots but also the roots are so deep because they're ancestral it's not just we're the first generation experiencing this that those traumas have been fed and nourished and fertilized across the generations. So if we as mothers do not decide, and this is my own personal choice that I made when I became a mother, I decided, right, I understand that I have inherited many, many traumas from my female ancestors. If I do not make a conscious decision to heal those traumas inside me, then I'm going to pass them on to the next generation. And since I have two daughters, I thought, oh my God, right? Yes. This is it. This is mother, daughter, mother, daughter, mother, daughter. And um, and so I really decided to break that chain, I must say. And I'm quite grateful for the fact that by the time I was a mother, there was so many resources for us to reach out to, so much, you know, professional um, professional help that was out there, so many different instruments, so many different ways that had been developed. And, and I tell you, Anna, I used all of them. I have done everything, <laughs> everything across the board um, to break the train of uh, ba- break the chain of ancestral trauma when it comes to mother daughter. Um, but that's changed a lot. As you say, you know, decades ago, we didn't have the tools. No one talked about mental health. No one talked about trauma. No one talked about any of those issues. Now, you know, it has changed so much that we have all those tools. We have the help if we want to. We can. We we are more open to talking about it, even, even with friends. Um, and that has, is massive, that change that has massive over the last few decades. Absolutely. No, we're open to talking about it, but more importantly, we, as you say, we have the choice, if we make the choice, yeah. to make use of the tools. Well, sometimes uh, it's very difficult to make the choice also. You have to you have to be conscious enough to decide to make the change as yes. it is and be brave. Yes, you have to be very brave to yeah. face many things that you have not faced before. And you have you have to do it for yourself and you have to do it for your children. Um, and and for generations, right? I, I do believe very much in generational uh, responsibility, and I just think that we we all carry that responsibility of marking 
not just what our immediate future response uh, generation is going to experience, but many generations beyond that, because we are a chain, right? We are, we are a human, a human chain that, that comes from, from thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And we have an unbroken chain and, and that will continue. And so whoever we are today as parents will definitely influence not just our children, but their children and those and the next and the next and the next. So it's a huge responsibility. Absolutely. And so you grew up and you left Costa Rica and you went to study in the States. You went to England as well, right? Yes. How did you experience that? Was it a big uh, shock for you leaving your country? How did you experience the different cultures? How do you feel? How do you experience all that change that you went through? Life. No, it was not. It was not a shock because I already grew up in a multicultural family. Mm-hmm. My father, uh, my father's parents were Spanish. They were Catalanes. Okay. Uh, and they uh, migrated to Costa Rica. My father was barely born in Costa Rica. My mm-hmm. grandmother arrived in Costa Rica just three months before she um, she mm-hmm. had my father. So the the Spanish culture uh, was still very vibrant in my father, and he actually even spoke Catalan all his life. Okay. Um, so you know we 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 had that influence, and then my mother's parents were Danish, oh. and they migrated from Denmark to the United States, and then eventually from the United States to Costa Rica. So we grew up as a multicultural family, as a multilingual family, um, as being very aware of the fact that Costa Rica was an absolutely fantastic, miraculous little country, but a very small country and that the world was much larger. Um, And we were fortunate enough to travel as children, either on a personal basis, because we went to visit my grandparents who lived in New York. Mm-hmm. Or I often went on official state visits with my parents, um, and and so we were we were very aware of of the larger world. So when I left, I left when I was sixteen, graduated from high school when I was sixteen, went first to to Britain uh, to a, a a girls' school for a year, and then to the United States, and and then back to Britain, um, and it was. It was not a shock to me at all because I was totally open to different languages, to different ways of doing things, um, different ways of thinking. It was, I, I, I didn't feel anything negative. I've actually, in fact, always felt that I'm a very proud Costa Rican citizen mm-hmm. and I am a global citizen as well. And then you, at some point, you got married and you had your own family. Tell us a bit about your the family that you created. So I have two girls. They're in their early 30s uh, now. One, The first one was born in Guatemala when we were living and working in Guatemala. And the second one was born when we were living and working in the United States. They both grew up um, predominantly in the United States because we stayed there in the outskirts of Washington, D.C. for 20 years. So that definitely marked uh, marked the girls that uh, that growing up in the United States. But I made very sure that they did not grow up thinking of themselves 
um, exclusively as U.S. citizens because I really wanted them to be like I had been multicultural, multi, multilingual. Um, and especially I remember um, as we were living there that my main concern, one of my main concerns with them was that they would grow up not separated from nature mm. because um, because that is so, you know, so easily done if you grow up in a city surrounded by cement. Mm. Um, and so we were very careful to not do that and to live outside of the city, basically in the middle of a forest, so that the girls could grow up swimming in a natural lake, climbing trees. We had birthday parties for the trees. We had trees that were 300 years old. And so we invented birth dates for them. <laughs> and we sang happy birthday to the trees. Um, and uh, and I, I really made very sure that they had that contact with nature at home as well, of course, as every time that we came back to Costa Rica, that was um, that was reinforced. But um, I made very sure that uh, that they did not uh, lose that just because they were growing up in the United States, and um, and and then the girls grew grew up, and uh, in typical U.S. fashion, when teenagers grow up, they then leave home and they go to college, uh, and they both went to college in the United States, and that is then when I decided that I was ready to go back to work full time. I had taken some time off to devote time entirely to my daughters, which was a fantastic decision. I like very much treasure. And um, and then I went back to work full time on my climate change issues. And, and then pretty soon, 2010, the Secretary General of the United Nations asked me to lead the climate change negotiations so in order to do that, I then moved to Bonn, Germany for six years to um, to take on that responsibility for the United Nations. So how was the experience of raising, of stop living work and raising, you know, being a full-time mother? I hate that word, actually, the full-time mother, because it's, you know, I think that all moms are full-time moms, even if you work, right? You never stop being a mother. Uh, so I, I hate the full-time mom. Uh, but anyway, you are full-time dedicated to the girls. Did you ever feel lonely while raising them when they were growing up? No. No way. <laughs> no way. No, it was so much fun. Um, but but I did it. I, I stepped away from professional life two times while I was a mother. The first time I stepped away from professional life was at the beginning of their life. They're very close in age. They're just one year apart. So at the beginning of their life, I stepped away for, for three years, I think. Um, because I really wanted to be there for their first infancy years. Um, and, and I also found it very difficult to deal with two babies and two diapers and two everything at the same time. I thought, honestly, I can't deal with more than this. Um, so I stepped away and I was completely devoted to them for, for the first three years, more or less. Then I went back to, um, to professional work um, part-time and, um, and, and then throughout several years, I was either working from home or I was, uh, going downtown to work. I, by the time they were in secondary school, I was working full-time and leaving home in the morning and coming back in the afternoon. But then when it got close to them leaving 
mm-hmm. for um, leaving for college, um, I panicked. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my gosh, they're going to be leaving home. They're going to go to college and I'm not going to have any more fun with them. <laughs> and so I said, okay, that's it. I'm going to quit. So um, for three years, the last three years that they were home, I um, I did not work and I just dedicated myself to enjoying them and supporting them in those difficult teenage years that, you know, all, all teenagers go mm-hmm. through. Um, and I am so thrilled that I did that because we formed a very, very strong bond that um, that I am really harvesting the fruits of now. And um, I just I just remember thinking I have enjoyed every single age. I enjoyed the diaper age. I enjoyed the you know first school age. I enjoy their every single age when they turned teenagers, when they started their sports competition mm-hmm. um, age that they were competing. They were competing gymnasts, and so that was crazy to take them to competitions every single weekend. Um, but I enjoyed that. And, uh, and, and, and then now I enjoy them as adults Mm -hmm. and we have a very, very strong bond. The three of us, we always take one trip every year. That is a mother daughter trip where we don't invite anyone else, uh, only the three of us. And we spend time with each other, uh, just really touching each other deeply Mm-hmm. Uh, to make sure that we are um, that we are strengthening our bonds every every time. I think it's lovely to feel that you have experienced that you have enjoyed all their stages, every did, age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> did you experience the empty nest syndrome when they left? N- no, I didn't. I didn't have time <laughs> because because uh, you know they left, and pretty soon after that, I was asked to. Uh, well, I went back to work, and I was asked to to take on this responsibility for the United Nations. So then I moved, I moved to Bonn and um, yeah. And then I was, um, I was busy 150% of the time. So no, no, no emptiness syndrome for me. (laughs) And did you always want children? I did. I did. And um, uh, of course, you know, not knowing how, how much uh, energy it takes to have children originally, I wanted to have three sets of twins. <laughs> that was my idea because I always thought it would be so fun to have a twin oh, and yeah. be able to play tricks on people <laughs> and be able to send my my twin to something that I didn't want to go to. Um, so I always lamented that I didn't have a twin. And I thought, you know, when I have children, I'm going to have six children. They're going to be three sets of twins. Now, that was a crazy dream because twins do not run in my family at all. So I have no idea why I came up with that idea. Um, but uh, but I must say, once I had two girls and very, very soon, one after the other, uh, by the time the second one came, I said, well, that's it. Mm-hmm. That's it because I really wanted to do a good job on that. You know, I just felt I I did not get the mothering that I would have wanted. Mm-hmm. and um, And I was so determined to give my girls the best mothering that I could. And I felt if I have any more, I will have to divide my attention too much. Mm -hmm. And let's remember that my attention as a young mother had to be divided between them and myself. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. because I was healing myself actively in therapy, doing all kinds of treatments, all kinds of tools, everything to heal myself from my childhood traumas that I had had as a child and that I had inherited from my ancestors. And so I just felt that's enough. I, 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 I honestly do cannot divide my attention more than to my daughters who come first and secondly to myself because um, because I really, really wanted to heal myself. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to heal myself for myself, but also for them. So once I got daughter number two, I said, that's it. That's the end of the production line. <laughs> and from what you're saying, you you clearly were a, you were a very present mom. Uh, and you make very clear and conscious choices about your uh, way of being a mom. How would you describe yourself as a mother? Um, I think above all, I was a very intentional mother. I was not a casual mother. Okay, now I'm a mother. You know, what else is new? No, I was very intentional because I really wanted to have children. I was delighted that I had two girls because I felt I can relate more to them. Mm-hmm. When when I was my second pregnancy, I thought I was going to have a boy. And um, and I was having a hard time trying to figure out how, how am I going to relate to a boy? But I was then thrilled that I had two girls. <laughs> Um, and I was very intentional, very, very intentional about being extremely present for them, being very supportive um, of their self-esteem, of their growth, mm. um, not overprotecting them because I firmly believe from my own experience that difficulties and challenges are the best lessons that we have in life. And so... Um, mm. You know, I always calibrated, can they deal with this difficulty and this challenge now? Mm-hmm. In which case, carry on because there's a lesson to be learned here. And if it was a difficulty or a challenge that I didn't think that they were ready for, then of course, I shielded them from that. But I didn't overprotect them or um, have them grow up in la-la land. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was important that they learn their own lessons, that they learn to be aware of themselves. I think I was um, increasingly throughout my whole healing process, I think I was increasingly aware of myself and of the impact um, that any adult, but especially a mother, has on um, on children and very um, very careful about words, very careful about actions, very careful about decisions. Um, yeah. And, and also enjoying it very much. Mm-hmm. Um, just like I didn't play as a child, I was, um, I, I was always encouraging them to have fun, even if it was without me, because I didn't know how to play, <laughs> but, um, but encouraging them to have fun encouraging them to try out many different sports uh, that I didn't have as a child and um, and then to discover which sport it was that they really wanted to commit to. Um, I, I think maybe, yeah, intentionality, I think, comes up for me. The other thing that comes up for me, Anna, is the, the difficult balance that all parents have between love and um, and freedom. Mm-hmm. Love in the sense of, um, of course, providing them and showering them with all kinds of 
um, evidences of love yeah. and spoiling them and when when that was appropriate. Um, but also not not using that love to stop their growth. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, we overdo it and we overpower with our love. We overshower uh, with our love and then they can't grow. They can't grow their their wings. And, um, and so that combination between obviously unconditional love, but also um, growing and limitless freedom was very important for me to um to imbue them yeah but obviously you had to you had you have two girls obviously you know each child is different so what one child needs maybe not be the same as the other one needs right do you find yourself treating them in different ways yeah they are very different mm. uh, and i was shocked mm. uh you know when at a very very early age um i noticed how different they were i thought how is this possible they have the same genes same father same mother same upbringing and yet they are completely different um and you know we 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 all experience that and it is such a surprise for us because we just think that uh that coming from the same context they're going to be very similar of course they have similar some similar traits but they they were very different from the start and um and still today are are very different um i don't remember treating them differently i remember um being surprised by those differences and then making careful decisions about whether I thought that those differences, and and obviously from my perspective, which is pretty unfair to them, but whether those differences were something that should be treasured and nurtured and pointed out, look how beautiful that you're different in this, yeah. um, which many of them were. Um, but there were others that um that were perhaps not worth uh not worth turning. <laughs> yeah, uh strengthening, let's say. <laughs> um so yeah it's it's a it's a difficult it's a difficult balance there and I, and I remember that the other challenge for me when they were young for in their first I don't know seven or eight years um was how they fought with each other because mm-hmm. they were very very close in age very competitive with each other um they went to the same school they competed in the same sport um they were yeah they were very competitive and um and they fought horribly physically with each other and it just tore my heart out when i saw them you know hitting each other and pulling each other's hair and and screaming horrible things to each other it just tore my heart out and they remind me today how absolutely horrible i became screaming at them to stop fighting and pulling them apart and sending them each to their own room um because i didn't want them to fight and um and and today they tell me that they needed that they needed to fight because they were so close in age mm-hmm. and they had so many things in common mm-hmm. that they needed to fight in order to differentiate themselves from each other that i did not get mm-hmm. that is a lesson that they are teaching me now they're saying mom you didn't understand you should not have interfered 
and, you know, sent us each to our room. We had to fight (laughs) because we had to differentiate from each other. So that differentiation, which occurs, obviously children differentiate from Mm -hmm. parents and that's a long process, but differentiating from each other um, is a very important process that, um, that is painful sometimes for parents, but very necessary. I, I, I thought that I was aware enough about their differences that it didn't seem to me like it warranted having a fight, but they felt that they needed to fight. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think yeah, I think sibling fighting is it goes with uh, growing up, right? I think everybody that has siblings has fought at one point or the other. And Christiana, you went through a divorce without going into the specifics of it. It is one of the most stressful events that people go through in their lives. How did you cope with it? And how do you uh, help the girls cope with it as well? Do you have any lessons for parents that may be going through the same issue. Yes, I'm I must say, you know, I I've already told you that I I I carried many childhood traumas. Um but the divorce or the reasons for the divorce um were con- continues to be my adult trauma that I'm still working through. Um and was brutally painful. Truly brutally painful. Um, I, I have to say, I, I got to the point where I was considering suicide because I was so surprised by the events, um, that were shared with me. And, um, it was, it was, yeah, brutally painful because I, I thought that we had, such a loving, harmonious family unit, mm-hmm. the four of us, and and then to to be surprised by a very different reality um, was just very painful. So it took me uh, quite a few years, and um, it was difficult. Obviously, very difficult for the girls. It has marked the girls mm-hmm. very deeply. Um, it's marked them in their relationship with men and their relationship with their current partners and, and spouse. And um, what lessons is your is your question? I I'm not sure if this is a lesson, Anna, but um, but I know that the only way that I got out of that very, very dark hole was I discovered um, a spiritual teacher mm-hmm. who helped me to find my own peace inside. Mm-hmm. And slowly but surely, I am still learning years later. Mm-hmm. I'm still learning that happiness and joy is something that I carry within me mm-hmm. and that is for me to generate and to share with others. And it is not necessarily something that is created outside and that I need from anyone else. And that's that's a difficult learning. That's a very, very difficult learning, especially when you've had 
a traumatic childhood with, you know, not, not ideal parents. And then you think that you have created the ideal family uh, and you have put years and years and years of effort into that. And then it all falls apart. Uh, that's really difficult. Yeah. But it is what I have, what I have seen now years after is that sometimes we have to hit rock bottom Mm-hmm. before we begin to discover ourselves and before we begin to discover the um, the wisdom that each of us carries within ourselves and the healing power that we have within us that we can use for ourselves and for others. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know if it's advice. I I can just share my experience that there there is a rock bottom mm-hmm. and that there is a choice that has to be made whether we stay at that bottom yeah. and uh and suffer deeply for the rest of our lives yeah. or whether we climb ourselves out of that dark box with our own inner wisdom yeah absolutely and during those you know that difficult period did you managed to um to to keep within your very conscious very warm very present uh parenting style because we know that you know when we're going through very stressful periods parents tend to be harsher you have less patience did you manage to stay as present as and as uh, as warm and conscious with your with the girls no <laughs> definitely not yeah. uh it, I mean, fortunately, they were already adults by this time, mm-hmm. uh, which was very fortunate because mm-hmm. I think it would have been even more difficult if they had been children. Um, but they were already adults and and already very wise women um, by them, which didn't mean that they did not suffer deeply. Yeah. They we, all three of us suffered deeply, but um, but at least they were adults. And what I what I know is that I oscillated between being a very wise woman and encouraging them to rebuild a relationship. I had to be a new relationship with their father, who will always be their father. Uh, so to accept the reality and uh, and rebuild a relationship, which I very much encouraged them to do and they have done. But I also oscillated between that and my anger and my resentment. Um, And I I tried as much as possible to to keep that away from them and use my professional support and my own um, blood family, my sister and others, my brother, uh, to help me and to support me. But Honestly, it it I I did not do an ideal job of that. So they did get some of my anger and my pain. I think I think more than my anger, they saw my pain. And um and they understood, of course, that the pain was uh was deep because of what was happening at that moment, but it was even deeper because it was opening up my own mm. childhood wounds. Yeah. And so the pain is even deeper. 
when it is a, a wound that we think has healed, but then is opened again. And um, so they did, they did see that pain. Um, today, as all of us continue our healing process, they have told me that they're actually grateful that they saw that pain mm -hmm. in me um, and that I did not hide it from them yeah. because it helped them learn. Yeah. It helped them learn and accept their own pain first. And, uh, and it helped them to see how we climb ourselves out of that dark hole of pain. Of course, there's a part of me that recriminates myself and goes, why did why, why did I expose them to that pain? Why did I not protect them? But that honestly, that would have been impossible yeah. um, and perhaps not ultimately as helpful for them. I think today, both of them are um, are very wise, are wiser women and are on their own spiritual path. Um, in a more accelerated way than I am, I should say. So much more advanced in their spiritual understanding because of the pain that yeah. they saw me go through and because of their own pain. And um, I think that they're, they're wiser already in their 30s than I am at double their age because they didn't have the terribly heavy backpack mm -hmm. from their, their childhood that I was carrying from my childhood. So they already went into this experience of pain and betrayal um, with, a, a, with a light load and with, um, with a very healthy mm -hmm. childhood that I'm very grateful for. Yeah. So I think, you know, all in all, um, not not a situation that I would wish on anyone, but since there are so many families that go through this, um, it is the only thing that I can say is the, the pain that you experience um, in the beginning is a pain that you never forget, mm -hmm. but is a pain that you learn to live with. Yeah, that's a, that's a very important lesson to learn and I think also what you said about being honest with the girls I think that's very important I think as parents we often want to protect the children but I think being honest with them and saying I am in pain I'm going through a very rough time I think that's a very uh, worthwhile lesson for them as well and I think Christiana would I always think about you being a very passionate woman uh, so I think you you have clearly a passion for your children and the same passion you have for your work. And I'm sure many people listening to the podcast will know about you and everything you have done uh, for climate change. But tell us a bit about your work, your fight against climate change, and why. Why do you feel so passionate about this topic? I think I am so passionate about climate change, Anna, because of um, what I shared at the very beginning, because um, I was taught from, from my crib, from the moment I was born, um, I was taught that, um, that we come here um, in service of others. And um, not, not everyone gets that lesson, but I did. 
and uh, and it is a lesson that I have very much treasured and um, and taken with me. And uh, so I did not know about climate change when I, in my childhood, certainly not, and even in my early adulthood. But as a young mother, is when I discovered uh, the effects of climate change, and um, and and I thought. I had two reactions when I discovered that we were already feeling the impacts of climate change. My first reaction was, as a mother, this is something that I cannot simply stand by on because I am witnessing a the destruction of the planet, which is where my children and their children and everybody else's children are going to live. And the terms of reference of parents, or especially of a mother, is to turn over, or the terms of reference of a, of a, of a mother is to have her children live a better life than she lived. And I was totally devoted to that. And to a large extent, I think I achieved that. Yeah. But when I discovered climate change, I realized, oh my gosh. Yes, personally, they're going to have a better life than I did when I was a, a when I was a, a child. But from a global context, we're headed toward a miserable planet. And I just thought that is not within the terms of reference of a parent to have your children and everybody else's children and grandchildren uh, live a worse life. So first, it did not agree with my interpretation of parenting. But secondly, I was even more motivated when I figured out that climate change is impacting the more vulnerable, the most vulnerable, most, Mm -hmm. and that the most vulnerable are the least responsible for climate because it is basically Climate is what I call the mother of all injustices. It is unjust that the global South is suffering it much more than the global North when the global North has actually been responsible for causing climate change. It is unjust that is future generations that are going to suffer it most when it is past generations that have caused this. It is unjust that it is those with least resources that are going to suffer the most when it is those with most resources that have caused it. It is unjust that it is women and children who are going to suffer most when it is largely men that have caused this. And on and on and on. It is the mother of all injustices. And so I I just gravitated immediately toward toward this cause because it's just unacceptable to me. And I know that I personally can you know do a little bit it's it's my grain on grain of sand on the beach of this huge effort but i honestly would not be able to live with myself if i just witnessed climate change and did nothing about it because for two things because of who i am as a parent wanting future generations to have a better life and secondly because of who i am with respect to social justice and public service. So for both reasons, I had to devote my life to climate change. And you're you're still optimistic about it, right? Because I choose to, Anna. That's why. 
because I choose to, because mm-hmm. I wake up every morning and I know that we're going to have terrible news. Mm-hmm. This summer has been a summer f- mm-hmm. from hell yeah. for many, many, many different people. Yeah. Pakistan, one third of the, of the of the country underwater. Heat records being broken in the United States, China, and Europe, all three in the same week. On and on and on and on. And I can go on with, you know, everything that has happened in this um, in the summer from hell to say nothing of uh, of the winter that we're going into mm-hmm. in the global north. And so it is, it's not that I'm optimistic because I deny what is going on. Yeah. I'm optimistic based on the reality that we have, understanding the impacts that we have every day understanding the science, understanding the projections of where we're going to. And therefore, I choose to be optimistic in the sense that I choose not to fall into fatalism, not to fall into pessimism, but to say precisely because of the challenges, that is why we have to do our utmost. It is, you know, there's a certain parallelism of saying, well, I had, you know, many childhood traumas and therefore I'm going to be a terrible mother. Yeah. No, I had childhood traumas and therefore I'm going to heal myself so that I can be a fantastic mother. Same thing here. We have a huge challenge ahead of us. Therefore, we do everything that we can to heal, regenerate and restore the planet because future generations depend on that. They're depending on us. So that's our responsibility. So for me, optimism is a choice. It's not naivete and it's not denying the reality. It is a choice. I make the choice to be optimistic every day. And it's a difficult choice to make. And that's a wonderful choice for parents in their parenting and also in terms of the climate. Fantastic uh, message and choice. Are you looking forward for the grandchildren to arrive? Well, if they do. <laughs> if they, if they do. do and that is not uh that is not a certainty and obviously uh every generation has to take that decision mm-hmm. and my girls are considering that decision i don't know where they're going they and their partners are going to come out on that decision but um but and and it is one of the more painful things that i see that so many young people today are so concerned about the future of this planet and they're in so much grief and pain mm-hmm. about climate change that they have decided not to have children. This is a generation that is in huge pain because they understand what is happening. And uh, the fact that they're making personal choices because of what is happening on a planetary level is very painful to me, very, very painful. So it is yet another reason why um, I devote my life to climate change so that young people can feel that they have a choice if they want to, to have children. Well, let's let's hope so, Christiane. I do hope so. And I think we thank you for that work. I think it's massively important. And I thank you also for your passion, for your honesty, for your generosity during this talk. Thank you so, so much. It's always a pleasure talking with you. Anna, it was wonderful. Thank you very much. Congratulations for your podcast. Um, and um, yeah. Oh, I know. One last thing. My podcast people would not be <laughs> thrilled with me 
If I did not say that we also do a podcast on climate change, as you will, um, of course, as you will probably suspect, tell us about it. Our podcast is called Outrage and Optimism, uh, and we've been uh, in on the air for for two years already. We have conversations um, that are both very serious, but also very fun because we believe in in having fun and enjoying each other. Uh, and it's three very good friends who sit together once a week um, and and really demystify what is happening on climate change. So that is very understandable for people who are not working on climate change, but keeps you up to date um, and gives you a little inkling on uh, on what is going on and what can be done. So outrage and optimism. And I hope, Anna, that you, you enjoy your podcast as much as we do ours. Um, I have to say, it takes a lot of work. The preparation for these podcasts <laughs> is a lot of work. So congratulations to you for all the prep work that you do. Um, and uh, yeah, and how delightful that we have this new medium, which is podcasting that didn't exist several years Absolutely. ago. Absolutely. Totally. Well, we will be listening to the podcast. And thank you, Christiana. And take care. Thank you, Anna. Bye. Good oh, to my see love. you. Bye.